Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. My name is George Armistead. I am with Alvaro Jaramillo. We are Life List, a birding podcast. Missing our friend Molly Brown today, but we figured we'd soldier ahead. Al, what's happening? Hello, I'm here. I'm, I'll pretend to be Molly. <laughs> yeah, I'll say intelligent things and stuff. I'm sh- you know? Yeah, I'm sure she'd appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. No, maybe I better not. We have a real Molly. Yeah, it's true. Nobody should pretend. Because um, then one. she could pretend to be me when I'm not around. And, you know, I yeah. would have to face the truth of what that looks like. It'd, it'd be yeah. a hard look in the mirror, man. I'll tell you. Wow. God, tough, yeah. look, tough look in the mirror. That's yeah. right. You know, there's a lot of truth in comedy, as they say. Yeah. I would be there going, oh, my gosh, that is me. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but here tough. I am. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, we will we will soldier ahead with with you and I, my friend, and uh, very glad to be here. We've kind of you know we we uh, kind of had a gap here. Both been traveling a bit, but both been home for a few days. I think at least now. And uh, man, there's a lot going on, huh? Yeah, yeah, lots of stuff happening, and uh, you know, getting home. You know, that means you you finish your trips, but you get home to the plants. You got to deal with the plants, right? Yes. Right, George? Yes. Now that you have yeah. a yard and the you're whole talk, You're talking about the Mary Jane, right? <laughs> that's right. Yes. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Different, different the plants. Yeah, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. The um, um, I, for one, you know, was spending a bunch of time just clearing out so much growth because it's it was such a wet winter so we don't we don't water anything but it grows like wildfire because it's sort of drought tolerant stuff and it's still sucking up water that's in the in the soil it's crazy it's weird how these plants are you know so i i spent some time doing that there was the uh you know a little bit of birding etc and i hear you have been doing the plants too i have been working on the plants man been working on the plants, Kristen and I. You know, I got I got home what a couple days ago. Had a day of rest basically, where I slept after you know being on the road for a couple weeks, long days, and then you know then got restless and uh, was like looking at the yard, and I was like, oh man, there's a lot of a lot of areas we worked on where there's grass coming up and weeds, weeding to be done, and. I set the task. I said, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna attack this patch of lawn that mm. you know has has been giving me the hairy eyeball for a while. It's like I'm gonna go right after it. Go get in there, and I I did attack it, man. I I learned two things yesterday, uh, unrelated to each other. Um, but one is that like basically a maybe it was like a twelve foot twelve square foot area of lawn can nearly kill a man. Uh, yeah. I swear right. to the I swear to the high heavens man. It was like it's a good workout. My uh my rear end, my hammies, my lower back pretty sore today. Rump. It's basically like you're basically kind of doing squats the whole time and your upper tail coverts. Yes, exactly. Not the chrism. But the upper tail yeah, chrysum. Nobody uses the chrysum anymore. Yeah, no. 
But yeah, man. Bring I back was, the chrism. That's the yeah, shirt I want. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah, bring back the chrism. You know, we have we we have Alula. You know, the Alula hangs on. Alula doesn't have some Alula, Alula hangs name. on. We got the, the Crystal Thrasher, so it's still you know still Crystal there. Thrasher. Wow, I never actually thought about how those two things were related, but it makes perfect you sense. Yeah. I thought oh it was like God. a. That's I thought like, it was like a vegetative thing or something. I thought it was, I was like, what? Yeah, no, it's because it's the chrysum is colored, you know, yeah. reddish. It's like the only part of that bird that's colored. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Of course, you have of learned course. three things now in two days. <laughs> <laughs> your two, your two things that yeah. you told us one right that yeah. the that the upper tail coverts can hurt. Yes. Post. Post lawn destroying, which is very satisfying, I must say. I yeah. never understood just how satisfying it would be to destroy my lawn. Yeah. I really, I want to get like a T-shirt or a bumper sticker or something that says like "Destroy your lawn." It's like I don't know. I think it, I think it'd speak to uh, people even yeah, other than me yeah. potentially. People, but people yeah, we did. By, like one in a hundred would go by and go right on, man. Like, yeah, like, destroy your lawn. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that I think that that is the way to go. So that was that was the first thing I learned. Yes. Okay, and you probably are still learning that. I continue to learn it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Now the second thing was that if you turn on the Grateful Dead on Spotify and play a playlist, my wife will sing really loudly, but not always in tune. Huh. Um, so Did that the Grateful was, Dead sing in tune. Well, case. yes, and they were the Dead and Company had a show here the other night. I would have loved to have gone if I'd been around. It's like one of my great regrets is that I never saw like the real Grateful Dead in their prime or well, even at the end of their their run, you know. And yeah. uh, like I remember my, I, I want to say I was like in like tenth, eleventh grade when a couple of my friends went to Grateful Dead concerts, and I was like trying to get, convince my parents that I should be allowed to go to this, and they were like, "No chance, no." You know, they're like, you will, you will not be going to that. And, uh, you know, I, I can kind of understand where they were coming from, but at the same time, I do really regret not being able to take that concert in. But so Kristen and, and, and our son Hayden went the other night. I know there was a bunch of other birders there, um, as well. And, uh, it looked like it was a great show. John Mayer actually was doing most of the vocals for Dead huh. and Company. Uh, who's I gather a little bit of a birder actually himself. Really? Yeah, yeah. He he tweeted once about Ted Floyd's uh, field guide that he wrote a while back. Huh. Um, and uh, I know one or two other birders. I think they've even run across him uh, here and there. So anyway, he was singing, but I had to learn the hard way that uh, my wife does not always sing in tune when singing along to the Grateful Dead. That was uh, huh. yeah, it was a little tricky. Yeah. Tricky, so Not you gotta best. like maybe play something else. I so, feel like we need uh, to have a talk. Yeah. I'm gonna get so much hate mail for this, like really get hate mail. Oh boy, you know, you're probably multi generation. But you're doing it again. I have no interest in the dead. Like I never had it, and I don't even know. I know one song, maybe. Oh, wow. I have no exposure to them whatsoever. Like I, I think I. I know, like the people that I knew that actually would follow them, you know, they go to multiple concerts and stuff. Their description was almost like that the dead were just an avenue to all sorts of shenanigans and fun. And that seemed like, okay, that's cool. Like you're 
you're going out there and you're going to these situations where people are just having a great time and you are immediately uh, accepted into that fold, right? So I think that I really, I really would like to have enjoyed that bit, but I'm not necessarily, I don't know that I've ever heard the music enough to know even what they sound like almost Mm -hmm. like I'm totally, you know, not never sort of gravitated to them. So you could not name us. Could you, could you name a single grateful dead song? No, but I know I reckon there's one I recognize. I used to play it on the radio. The Um, touch of gray, probably touch of gray was the one that really got a lot of radio play or like truck and wood and some, a few others, but, but yeah, but uh, it's not a, disdain of the dead or anything it's just never you know the only part that really i sort of i found appealing was like that whole all right let's go and have a big party yeah that i kind of uh say is uh cool you know but um yeah weird huh yeah i mean i I think that that is that is a that is a not hateable uh standpoint i think like if you'd come on here and be like i listen to them and i can't stand them i think the hate mail might really um come at us here but i think you're on pretty solid i mean you're a punk kid you're 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 all punk scene that was your thing you i don't know how you would ever come across the uh the grateful dead but like i i love dead kennedy's yes but not the grateful dead dead kennedy's the dead for me was the dead kennedy's yeah yeah what about the dead milkman (laughs) you know the dead milkman dead milkman saw them yeah Yeah, the one of their one of their main camaro yeah, one of the main dudes used to live right around the corner from me down, really? down in Philly. Yeah, the dead milk. Yeah, I forget yeah. what his name was, but yeah, I would recognize him. It's like, yeah, and everyone's yeah. like, his name was Rodney. That's right, it's Rodney. Rodney. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, I uh, I really like the Grateful Dead. I I'm not. I, I couldn't call myself a deadhead. Never really have. I've been to like a couple Bob Weir shows and and some other stuff. Right. Like, you know. I'm not a fish guy, though. I really don't like fish very much, despite having been to a few concerts. Um, right. Even snuck into a few, but it's good. You know, I had a good time, but it's not my bag. Are you keen on the tie-dye and the whole, like, aesthetic? Nah, no, nah, it's not really my thing. Not really, yeah. 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 You know, I was more of a hip-hop guy yeah. more than anything else. Right. Yeah, um, it's a, that's a little classier. Yeah, um, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> Yeah, the 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 tie dye look is sort of like the painted bunting of clothing. You know, it's like just too many colors, too many yeah. colors. Let's choose a few. Choose one or two or three max. Yeah, make a decision, people. Come on, that's right. Yeah. You're not not like a multi. You know, yeah, pick a side. You know, pick a side. <laughs> now we're gonna get the hate mail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's one thing you said something about the dead, but tie dye. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it was, it was, uh, I, I do regret missing the show, but the, uh, yeah. and, and suffering through Kristen's singing was, was even, you know, relatively tolerable because at least, you know, the oh. yard here is looking beautiful. And, uh, yeah. we had the music going while we were working on the yard and, uh, it's really coming along. You know, we're just a year into this process and we've destroyed a good chunk along. We got a quite a ways to go. There's a lot more going on, but, um, but, you know, we have this whole bed that a year ago was just grass and now there's, all this, all these things blooming and all these bugs. And we had, I posted a video the, uh, yesterday. Uh, Kristen found this um, Carolina mantis, Uthica, that had just hatched. And there's like dozens of baby mantises just kind of streaming all over the place. And we're like, oh my God. Like we'd watch that, that whole process 
kind of unfold over the last year. And it's like super satisfying to see them, you know, take refuge in this plant that we just planted there a little, you know, a year ago. And, uh, and they're, they're moving in pretty cool. Rewarding. You know that there's like an instrument that you sort of see like in Cuba and like Latin American kind of, it's like this wooden thing with like ridges and they kind of, you know, you pass the stick over it and it kind of makes this little, you know, kind of, that's, that's what their eggs look like. Right. <laughs> those like that. Yeah. Yeah. Those, that, that little instrument thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you like, know what I was just thinking about too? It's like, so I might've offended people I don't know, you know, they might, you know, write letters, but you just offended your wife with her singing. Jeez, what are you doing? Hey, she, she knows, you know, got to speak truth to power and this, she knows, she knows where, where I stand on this issue. I mean, so. we, we both know this is going out to like millions and millions of people that listen yeah. to this. So, you know, it's like, she has gosh. a beautiful voice, just, you know, not to the dead. Not, not necessarily the Grateful Dead. Yeah. yeah. Boy. So, so what, what about the birds? You, you noticed any bird, like summer bird activity in your yard yeah. yet? Like with yeah. birds coming in to get the bugs from the, the plants and all Yeah. That? I mean, I kind of call, you know, as I mentioned before, I kind of call this the off season um, in here in summer, but you know, there's been some stuff around um, the, our hummingbirds, you know, we're seeing we're seeing a, quite a few hummingbirds around here earlier than we did last year. Last year we had migrants. Which which species do you get out there? We get ruby throated. Period. Oh, uh, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, somebody oh. doesn't. Somebody needs to study up on his eastern North American birds a little bit more. <laughs> but, oh gosh, it seems like it's easy. You only have one hummingbird. Mm, seemed like a little bit of a leading question there. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I am hopeful. I am hopeful and ever vigilant. That I'm terrified that Kristen's going to find a good hummingbird, you know, a vagrant hummingbird, I should say. Right. Um, and you're like, didn't you get the pictures of the tail feathers? Oh my god! Well, I'm, I'm worried it's just going to be like, you know, what's this green one with the purple ear? You know, yeah, um, it sticks out a little bit. Like, yeah, it's much larger part. than the ruby throats. I'm totally, you know, terrified yeah. that's going to happen while I'm in Colombia in a couple weeks here. But um, you know, that would be a bad. That'd be a good problem to have. Um, yeah. yeah, but. Definitely. We'll see. No, the ruby throats are really zipping around earlier than usual. I, I don't know. I do think there's some stuff going on with the fires, you know, all those fires up in Canada. We, you know, in Philly, there's well, 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 a lot of Canada. Oh, yeah. Don't the, blame you, Canada. Oh, it's all, it's we're all, all part of this. Yeah. It's the Canadians <laughs> did this, you know? Yeah. No, the, uh, those fires, I don't, I don't know if you would have seen, but they just funneled like straight, the smoke just funneled straight into Philadelphia. I, it was one of the I, hardest hit cities. In terms of I was the, in, the air pollution, yeah, I was in uh, on the on tour, and somebody was from up upstate New York, and they were sending pictures of of the whole that region, which is you know, and it was just smoky hell. Yeah, I mean, they were saying don't go outside at all. Like yeah. basically, any you know, it was toxic outside. There was like literally, yeah. people could not go outside, and people were doing it, of course, and doing silly things. But um, yeah, that was really bad. And then, like at the same time. There was the I-95 collapse here in Philly, um, yeah. which has been national news. And actually, our governor now says he thinks it'll be done in like two weeks. Is it, as this was unfolding, I was like, you know what? I bet Philly's going to try to take this as an opportunity. Pennsylvania would be like, look how quickly, you know, we get we you know we get this ship patched up. I, I, and I bet you they're gonna they're gonna do it um, pretty quick. So it'll be interesting to see. 
the and especially because like I'm around all fall, I am really looking forward to a an autumn migration season around here, and that where that happened is right next to one of the best birding hotspots in Philadelphia. So, um, you know, I, hmm. I'm like, I plan to spend a little bit of time there this fall. It'd be nice if, uh, you know, there was some access. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, we'll see. And for those that follow along that, that also where that, that, uh, breach in 95 fell out. And that is also where, uh, four seasons total landscaping is, uh, which was, oh, really? yes, it's right there. Um, you think it's connected? <laughs> I think like Giuliani <laughs> went back in and tried to like, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Seems unlikely. Um, we should stray away from the politics, but their, their stuff has boomed since then, by the way, since yeah. that whole Giuliani presser, you know, a couple of years ago that, that like their, like their paraphernalia is all over the place. People are now booking their event space that when they never did before, you know, yeah, like their, their business awesome. is thriving. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You know, uh, um, Huh. So, you know, it's totally changing a little subject about some of that local birding. I have done basically one day of local birding since I've been back. It was yesterday. And uh, the ABA was having an event around here, and I couldn't yeah, I saw that part in that, right? Because I, I had this pelagic trip, and I'd just gotten... Well, the pelagic trip had to be postponed because of weather. It's happening next week, so... Instead, I, I was able to get in touch with Nate Swick of the of the ABA and the podcast, right? The ABA yeah. podcast, and we went out birding, and uh, it was great. We saw we saw actually some good mammals. You know, sea otter was new for them, and Ooh. and uh, long tailed weasel, and oh, marbled merlet, good good stuff. We found St- um, strong mustelids there. That's yeah, that's yeah. good stuff, man. Strong mustelids, and uh, it was. M- it was Merlitz and Mustelitz, actually. <laughs> but it was a good fun uh, to talk about birds, you know, birding, birders, podcasting, all of that. Um, we also found a a rose thro- uh, rose-breasted grosbeak in with the black-headed grosbeaks. But what was kind of mm-hmm. cool is before I went, we I, we did a little dog walk around here, and it's uh, just you know, near the beach, and boom, there was an eastern kingbird sitting on the wires. I saw your you know? phone pick of that. That's pretty yeah. wild. That was pretty wild, and people got to see that later. And it, it, it is just sometimes like when you least expect it. Those are the best. Like I'm just you know, we're driving out, got the dogs in the car, and I'm like, whoa, that's an eastern kingbird, you know. And what what's weird is I think I didn't even look at it with binoculars. I was just like went like photographed it and. Because later I was like, I don't think I ever looked at that thing, you know, just because I was kind of excited. And, and also, I got to leave and go and see Nate, you know, pick up Nate from the city and kind of stuff. So, um, it, But it was it felt like it was one of those days like, you know, you get out and you see stuff. And it was yeah. like, I need to remember this, you know, because I spent <laughs> so much time at the computer yeah. uh, when I'm at home that... Uh, that you can just go out randomly and boom, something is there that's of interest, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I uh, I was reminded of that a little bit just with like being here. The the ruby throats were much more um, in evidence than I remember at this season. Usually, I remember them more in July and August in numbers, and then um, like seeing ruffling swallows kind of over the house here. I don't remember seeing that in June as much. 
Yeah. Um, and then like little parties of blue jays moving through. I'm like, like what's happening there? And some of that you do wonder if it's like displaced by the fire or something. I don't know, you know, but like mm-hmm. a flock of blue jays moving around in mid June, you know, I've, I've seen that twice in the last couple of days. You think they'd be breeding. Where are the fires by the way? Like how far North? I'm not exactly sure, but I thought it was all sort of, uh, I, boreal, right? Yeah. So that's too far north for too far for, north for the for blue jays. Yeah, yeah. Unless yeah. they're being moved by the smoke, which or, seems possible. Yeah, I'm sure it's pushed some stuff around. I don't know how. It'll be interesting to see if there's some good analysis of that after the fact. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that's that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of in the similar vein. Now, there's this large build turn thing happening. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, large build Florida. Turn. Florida, yeah. which not is not one but two large build turns. To me, what was kind of interesting about this is that I thought the place where you would predict large build turn to show up would be Florida because it's mm-hmm. the closest to where they are. But right. it's the place where it has not occurred, and this is like the fourth and fifth record <laughs> for the AVA, right? Is yeah, like I know of two other ones. Are- yeah, Illinois, right. Jersey. There was one like I think it was like right off the Garden State Parkway or something in Jersey once. Yeah, and then there was some other. Could it be like somewhere in the Northeast, right? So there was like let's say three, three or so, three or four. I want to say there have been two in Illinois, but maybe I'm just I don't know where I'm remembering that from. Hmm. But the uh, the fact that two of them show up means that there's something going on, like. There's probably others elsewhere, and I'm surprised that nobody's picked up one in in the Antilles, you know, or somewhere in the the Caribbean. It's got to be um, a drought or a fire, right? Something. It's it's probably flood, I guess it's a it's probably too much water somewhere, mm-hmm. or yeah. yeah, yeah, it could be a flood. Um, I mean, that's that's why they 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 migrate. It's usually they migrate into the the Amazon and Orinoco basins when they're dry. Because so, they can breed on the sandbanks, and then they migrate out when they're wet, when there's too much water. Right. So what I think happens. But you also say like rails. Yeah, yeah. rails. I yeah. was going to say, what else is associated with this movement? Like gray-breasted crake, someplace, and yeah, um, azure. Uh, the azure gallinule. Uh, gallinule. Yeah. That would be one. Um, maybe uh, the South American version of the uh, black skimmer that should be yeah that's for. right is that senorescence senorescence that's yeah. real blackish right yeah. real black underwings black on the tail yeah, what yeah that's got to be, be a split man freshwater black skimmer like that's that one's got to be a split that thing it looks totally different yeah yeah it's migratory it's yeah. yeah there's a lot there's a lot that could be associated but we don't really know what the actual factor is right is it like she said too much water, or is it, or could it be drought like such bad drought that the rivers are like have no right fish. stuff dries up? Yeah, um, I know there's been there's drought going on in like Uruguay and southern Brazil, parts of Argentina. So, but that's too far south, right? I mean, there's some, there's a few large built turns there, but not that many. But yellow maybe you know, yellow built turn shows up, it's like flying yeah. under the radar, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you see a little turn that's got kind of an oversized yellow bill. Look, yeah, pay attention to that. Look again. Mm-hmm. Look again. Um, and I guess, I mean, have you been keeping track of of Alaska? It seems like it's a really good vagrant season. Man, it does. Yeah. 
And I just saw like Zach pulling out on Shemya put together. I mean, a whole bunch of stuff looked great. Yeah. Kentish Plover. I think that yeah. was the star of the show. Yeah. Which I'm still thinking like, how do you really know Kentish from, like, from snowy? You know, I'm yeah. like, I've seen enough Kentish where you see them when they're common. You're like, yeah, those don't think those don't really look like snowy, but you can't, you don't know why. Yeah, I'm to exactly. the point where I've seen more of those Kentish than I have snowy. It's been quite a while really? for, yeah, yeah. It's uh, interesting that you know. I guess they had some real good, strong uh, blows from the west, so you know, shifted out a bunch of things. Yeah, to Alaska, and uh, yeah, we'll see what that how that bears out, you know, like it's still kind of vagrant season. Yeah. Sort of the tail end. Yeah. It's sort of, yeah, it's just about the tail end here now, but yeah, no, it's been good. And then of course there's been this ferruginous hawk that has been tracked from Canada. Um, you know, like, was it Ontario? Yeah. It was Ontario, which is already crazy, right? That it's there. It was it's the town of Erio. That's why they call it Erio, right? It's got a name. The bird, so, you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah the yeah. bird. Yeah, it's, they, they've given it a name like Flacco. But, <laughs> oh, but this is better than Flacco. Don't get it started on Flacco. Flacco. Yeah. Is Flacco still alive? Yeah. There we go. Slippery slope. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Erio, uh, yeah, it was, it was captured in the north... Erio is right on the north part of um, side of Lake Erie, so right there. And uh, I guess it was captured because it something had gone, you know, something had happened to it. Like I, I don't know, and, and it had to be sort of rehabbed for a few days. But then they figured they put a trans transmitter on it and see what happened. And it's roaming around, basically hitting every single state in the. Midwest and now to the towards the east, you know. It just crazy. hit Pennsylvania yesterday. It was just in Pennsylvania. Really? Yeah, Ross Gillardy, like I think he basically like kind of like looked where it was across the border there and tried to figure out a reasonable patch of habitat. Went there and found it. Uh, pretty huh. pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, I, that thing's I really it, making rounds. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand it though. Do you like? No. It, so it's. I guess it got. There's no sign of it being a, you know, like a captive bird or falconer bird, right? It's just a wild bird that was in the wrong place and got into there this. There are records issue. of them in the East, not many, but yeah. Um, like there, the I remember there was one. Off. Yeah, no, that is odd. Um, yeah. And the the one only other one I really remember in the East Well was one that showed up at the Eastern Shore of Virginia National Wildlife Refuge on the Delmarva Peninsula. That would have been in like the nineties, early nineties or something. Huh. I'm sure there's been a few others, but it's I mean, it doesn't happen much. No. And and why it's I'm I mean, it's moving around all over the place. So it it's interesting. Maybe that's what vagrants do. Like we just we always sort of think like, oh, you know, they they go and sit in a place for a bit, and then they. We always assume they just all die. I mean, seriously. I mean, that's what yeah. we assume. It's but, true. Um, um, it's it's likely not true that they, they probably survive and just kind of keep on moving around in weird places. But then, they come to think of it, we have the stellar seagull. The you know, it's it's been it's been doing weird stuff, and it you can follow. 
where it is just because it's such a unique bird and it just moves around all over the place uh, for at least periods of time. And it's, it seems kind of content. Maybe this guy's content as well. He's finding enough food and, or gal. I'm not sure if it's male or female, but it's wild that we have this info. It's just so cool to be able to kind of, you know, practically live track this vagrant, you know, like people are, are trying to figure out where it's going to go and actually finding it in a number of instances, but, uh, it's, it's pretty wild. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, did, it's crazy. And did I, we I talk about this white wing dove that, that, uh, Stu McKenzie and the guys at birds Canada tagged with a modus tower for it with a modus no, tower? No, but I, I was just going to say, you know, sort of thanks to Stu McKenzie because yeah. he's, he's the person who's been sending out the info. Yeah. So that, you know, people can get a look at this thing. Or we got to get you know. Stu on here from Birds Canada. They're just doing such cool work up there. That'd be a fun interview at some point in the near future. But I don't know about the white winged dove. Oh, wow. So, but just I have like a song a in my dove. head now. Yeah. Just like a white. Al, remember, just Friday night here. Friday night. Uh-huh. The, our neighbors, we saw them going out. Like, where, where are you going? They're like, we're going out to the Billy Joel Stevie Nicks concert. You know? Uh, it made me think of you again immediately, despite the fact that you don't really like either of their music. But uh, no, reminded me of our no, concert, I mean, con- conversation from before. But yeah, just just two nights ago, man, two nights, two nights ago, they were here. Yeah, yeah. I would actually love to have gone to that concert. It would have been a really good time, I bet. But don't get Dorian Anderson going on about Billy Joel, boy. Uh, like, he really just can't stand him. Like, yeah, Billy Joel's really got it's. He, he's a real firebrand. You know, like, yeah, he's like, like, there's people that really love him and people that absolutely hate him. Um, And I've always kind of been a fan, but I'm not like an avid listener or anything. But I remember being young and liking his stuff. And so it kind of stuck with me. But but yeah, just like a white winged dove. Here's what happened now. They captured one up in southern Ontario there someplace. I forget exactly where. Where it's real vagrant there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hell of a good bird, you know, like. Mm -hmm. Hell of a good bird. And so they capture this thing. They throw a modus tang on it, right? They release it that night. I can't remember the timing exactly, mm-hmm. but the thing pings like five or six modus towers and ends up in New Jersey, in Atlantic City. Oh, wow. And the, the, they the gamble. The, no. <laughs> so, but what happened, like, what's crazy is the speed. It made it, 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 they can tell from the modus towers, this thing was averaging a hundred miles an hour, like for five really? hours straight. It covered over 500 miles in, in, in like a little over five hours or something. How's so that it even mu- possible? It must've had a hell of a tailwind, but like, huh. you know, like, and I think there was like a documented strong Northwest wind that night, but it's like, retro. yeah, but I mean, how crazy is that? That's nuts. Wow. And nobody saw it in Jersey as far as I heard. So, and then it, then it disappeared because there's no modus towers south of that kind of thing. No, I, I mean, I don't, I haven't checked yeah. again since then. Honestly, okay. there should be, there are modus towers, but I don't know if it's been pinging. Like Pennsylvania, we have them, a string of them from the southeast all the way to the northwest. Kind of, there's like a line. There, it's almost like basically nothing can migrate past that line without pinging uh, a modus tower. So there's huh. a broad network there, and it and it pinged a bunch of them. So. 
and it pinged some in, in New York, I think, as well. I can't remember. But it was like five of them. I, I screenshotted it. I'll, I'll send it to you later. It was just blew my cool. mind. In case, like, I don't know enough about it, but here, here goes. Like, if anybody's wondering what MODIS is, it's a system where you have land-based, essentially, radio, you know, really sort of low-tech um, kind of stuff that, that is detecting a little radio signal. And they can triangulate if you have enough towers to where that signal's coming from. And that means that you can put this transmitter on a bird that is way cheaper and tinier than you would if you need to communicate with a satellite or something that's really far away. So MODIS, in a sense, the idea is if you carpet the world with these little towers that aren't that expensive, you could track almost anything, even butterflies, um, with these little transmitters that are essentially a little radio signal. So that's what, what MODIS is and why it's kind of revolutionizing things, because you can do things that are cheap um, once the system is up. So, you know, you're not paying five to 10,000 bucks to, like, track a single bird. So there you go. Yeah. No, it's really fascinating stuff they're getting back from this. Really interesting. Yeah. Well, those were cool things. Less cool, Al, I think, in my book. Is what... Okay. Is That's this, cool. this less cool, less, less emotionally fulfilling, more frustrating is this refreshed go round of I Rebuild Woodpecker Uh-oh. BS. Uh oh. <laughs> See, let's let's just be honest, George. We're we notice that some of the best, the, the top-ranking podcasts talk about cryptozoology and yep. Bigfoot and everything. So we just are trying to get a piece of the action here it's by true. talking about it's true. our version of cryptozoology, which is the ivory bill woodpecker. Yeah, we got to dip fully in. Yeah, jump in the jump in the cryptozoology pool here. Yeah. Right. And it begs the question: What is it about this bird that makes people go insane? I mean, they call it the Lord God bird, but man. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I was actually asking Nate this question, too, because he sort of had a, his finger in the pie of, of, you know, asking about the validity of some of these um, sightings. And why is it not, you know, Buckman's warbler and um, Eskimo curlew, right, have both been documented more recently then ivory bill woodpecker, like really well, you know, like everybody agrees that's legitimate sighting than the ivory bill. Yet they don't strike nearly the same chord as this bird. Like it's insane. And it makes people go a little nutty. It's very hard to explain. Say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't admit, I mean, I think I would be way more blown away by seeing an Eskimo curlew in a sense, you know, cause like, I don't know. I, to me, that, that was the bird that I grew up thinking like I might actually see that one day. I always felt like the ivory bill woodpecker was done. Like it was gone. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's a, maybe that's my personal opinion. Also, uh, you know, when I was a grad student, I spent some time in the Pampas where they used to winter. So I thought, Never know, you know, around the corner there could be a Eskimo curlew sitting there. Might bump you know, into one. Never yeah. know. You but, see, the f- the Foo Fighters recently had like some promo for an upcoming show, and the artwork featured. Now we're talking. 
an ivory-billed woodpecker. <laughs> they were really, yeah. It's like, yeah, I was trying to find the imagery, but there's like, it's on Twitter. I saw it someplace. It said Foo Fighters inadvertently entered into the ivory-billed woodpecker controversy with artist Pedro Carreras painting this gorgeous, very endangered bird. I think it was for, I think it was for like a upcoming concert. Uh, right. But yeah, like huh. coming on the heels of everything else, it was like, you know, it was actually a beautiful painting. <laughs> it was really pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, Ivory Build Woodpecker always did speak to me. I think I told you about, I think I mentioned yeah. on the pod before how I did like a seventh grade science night report on Ivory Build Woodpeckers, you know, when I was in middle school and, and I, uh, you know, it's a big, big woodpecker. They are, yeah. you know, to see one, you know, would be otherworldly. Um, yeah. at this point, but like of the, of the North American, like extinct birds that seemed like still conceivably possible to bump into Backman's warbler was always the one that spoke to me. I was like, hmm. you know, you could, you could just picture bumping into like the last, I don't think anymore, but you kind of, you know, as a kid, it had been what, since the early sixties, the last sightings, um, Certainly into the late like 50s. 62 or 63. That's, that's what I was going to say, 62, which is the same, same for the Eskimo Curlew. Um, yeah. And, um, but like there was, I know there was, a, there was a DC Backman's Warbler just outside of DC in like the mid 50s. And I know some people went and saw that because it was there like for a while singing. Um, yeah. And, um, and, but, you know, you could just pick, it's such a small bird. You could picture that thing getting overlooked in some swamp someplace and, and um, right. and all of a sudden, somebody just stumbling into a migrant and being like, "Whoa!" I'm, you know? I'm starting to think that part of the reason why maybe the uh, ivory bill didn't speak to me as much is because I grew up in Canada, where it really was not there, mm-hmm. and yet Eskimo curlew was a, you know, a migrant, and you know, sort of a, yeah. And the whole, I mean, I used to know Fred Bodsworth, who wrote that book, "The Last of the Curlews." That's you know, a good the, book. Good book. I got that cool, book. Cool yeah. little book. Yeah. You know, he was in our bird club. So I didn't, I, I used didn't to realize you knew him. him. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's, 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 so, but getting back to this ivory bill woodpecker, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think is key. It's like the, there are people now publishing this stuff in journals of various kinds, right? And they're going through a process where the people are not actually evaluating exactly whether the people saw what they think they saw they're evaluating the thing in sort of a scientific context they should put these records through a records committee yeah that's people, what you people need. that you are need. are there to evaluate records of rare birds right and to actually that's what you need to do you have to pass it through like a critical set of sometimes unpleasant people <laughs> <laughs> the records committees <laughs> and then and then you know then you you've got something and for that to happen you need to have evidence that is it could even be difficult evidence but it it would have to have diagnostic features and that is the part that is being missed here completely like you can slow down the video as much as you want and talk about this and the flap rate and whatever you I mean I haven't read it because I just don't almost waste my time with it. That's the, now uh, I get to the point where I just get frustrated. Yeah. yeah. 
I do. I, I mean, do. I look at the pictures, and yeah. then none of the pictures look all that good. And then I'm like, oh, another one of these. So yeah, I did. I thought I might read this quote I saw in a conversation on Facebook from a biologist I really um, respect, named Eric Johnson uh, from down in Louisiana. He's done a lot of work on black rails. It's a little bit of a longer quote, so bear with me. But I think I think it it's well. It, it's a really good perspective on this. He says, as a field biologist, I often think of detection probability, the likelihood of a bird is the likelihood a bird is detected given it is present. For black rails in winter, using playback, a 10-minute point count yields about 4% detection probability. But this means after about four to five hours in that spot, one should theoretically be able to confirm presence absence. Their detection radius is much narrower than a campephilus, roughly 100 meters versus 1,000 plus meters. A yellow rail's winter point count detection is about zero but there are other efficient methods of finding them. I just don't understand how a campephilus woodpecker, one of the loudest birds in neotropical forests, is this hard to document. Something like 665,000 field hours have been employed specifically looking for this bird over the last 20 plus years in all of the places this bird would likely persist. The detection probability of that largest woodpecker, a member of a loud genus, a bird that Lowry, Tanner, and others could relocate with modest effort in the 1930s and 40s, would have to be a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of 1%. I want this bird to be alive, but the math doesn't add up. All that remains is hope. Hmm. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. And this is somebody I'm, that knows I'm something about that find a rare Yellow rail is 0%. <laughs> yeah. In winter, <laughs> but, he said. But yeah. Yeah. But there, there are other ways of, of detecting them, which is probably like running a chain full of like tin cans through the... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what the, the old that's what the old schools used to do. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I don't think we need to beat a dead horse with the ivory boot woodpecker. We just got a few minutes left here, Al. Um, well, we haven't even talked about all the stuff we we're going to talk about. I know, I know, man. We what, didn't. Yeah. Yellow rail, though. Does that bring a yeah a happy thought to your mind? It does, man. It does. And thank you for bringing it up. Yeah, we uh, we just did our prairies trip. Unfortunately, bird did not turn up on the tour. We, we didn't see it, but we heard it wonderfully very, at pretty close range there in North Dakota outside of Minot. Um, Josh Coville and I were scouting ahead of our prairies tour, which went great. We get out of the car at one spot, and Josh is like, yellow rail, it's calling right there. And uh, that was his lifer. He'd never uh, encountered one before. So that was awesome. I'd only heard him a couple times before, so it was pretty exciting for me as well. Uh, and mm. just an awesome thing to hear. Those things really declined there. They used to be a lot more abundant. Chris Sloan was telling me the first time he was out there, like I think it was 20, 30 years ago, that they they heard, encountered herd like over 40 of them in that region, which is almost unthinkable now. But uh, yeah, we had, we had a great trip, a lot of great birds, uh, encounters with the, uh, the long spurs and, you know, the the thick-billed longsbird, despite the terrible names we've discussed, put on a hell of a good show, and the uh, chestnut collars were great. We had a wonderful group, uh, really enjoyed it. And same with uh, the Colorado tour I just co-guided with uh, Carl Bendorf. And we did we did great on that. You know, had a bunch of uh, great great birds, great birders, really wonderful group of folks. Thankful that they traveled with us. We got some nice encounters uh, with uh, with white-tailed ptarmigan and Lewis's woodpeckers and. Pinion jays had a nice big flock of pinion jays. Um, those were some of the big birds we really wanted to see, but there's a whole bunch of others. 
But thanks to those folks for coming on that. And we got other trips uh, along those lines coming up. Now, I know you just got back from Las Encantadas, the Galapagos. Galapagos. Yeah. Welcome to Fantasy Island. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone smile. Um, Yeah, yeah, they are like Fantasy Island. The, The number of birds of that don't fly away from you. The birds would just sit there and let you essentially walk between them. Sometimes we have, the, there's a rule, right? You, you have to be, what is it? Six feet away or something, two meters from wildlife. And sometimes it's impossible to abide by that rule because everything's on the trail and you know, you have, you, you can't get off the trail. So you have to kind of weave your way through boobies and things. And they all kind of look at you and, and the park naturalist is it's it's okay when you know in this situation the birds and you're you're realizing you're in such a magical place where nothing is fearful like even the the lizards you know we saw all <laughs> sorts of cool stuff those land iguanas um, are crazy those things freak me out a little bit yeah 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 the land iguana and the marine iguana marine yeah <laughs> gotta be careful marine iguana yeah marine iguana yeah, and then and then uh, we encountered. And islands that were green because it's been raining and that this time of year is usually quite dry and cold water. But the El Nino phenomenon is ramping up so quickly over there that it's uh, it, it was a totally different set of islands. There were a lot of finches breeding. Um, usually there's a few, but it just everything was in song. And um, I noticed a, a low level of in some of the seabirds, you know, some of the blue-footed boobies were not in the numbers that you usually see them in in some islands. Waved albatross were down. I think they've stayed in the humble current or elsewhere uh, just because there's not as much food due to the warm water. It was it was really amazing to see such a place I've been to many times, see it so differently. And there were flying fish everywhere. Um, we saw, um, you know, a, a marlin which uh, is something I'd never seen there. Um, So very tropical. And then, of course, Kogia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's such a bad name, but it is the animal's name. It's, you know, there's two dwarf and pygmy sperm whale. But they're nothing like a sperm whale. These little whales. That's why people call them Kogia or Kogia, right? Because that's the genus and that's a better handle and it's much more distinctive. Yeah. And we saw animal jumping up in the air and we thought it was a dolphin. We really thought, oh, you know, the really active little dolphin must be a common dolphin. And uh, as we get closer, and I'm like, what is that thing? We photograph it. It ended up being a juvenile, like a little baby. Oh, wow. Of the dwarf you know, Sperm whale, Kogia uh, Sima, and uh, photographed uh, some adults in the water, and I was not ready for it because I'd always wanted to see these critters, and I thought I would see like a little. I thought it, it was going to going to be really flat, calm, and these little fins would come up, and then you know I would. Then take pictures of the f- the fins, send them to experts, and they go, "Yes, indeed." That, but seeing them up in the air, and where I have a photograph where you can see all the features, almost like the book, you know, I was not prepared for that at all. 
and the level of how unusual this is, I almost couldn't communicate to to the gang. In fact, I talked myself out of it multiple times because you couldn't believe it. Even though I I couldn't believe it, even though I had these photos, you know, I couldn't. Also, I didn't have the internet. I couldn't connect to something and and like look at them and go, oh yeah, it's the same thing, you know. Um, but that was uh, that was pretty magical. Um, an animal that is probably quite frequent widespread and maybe not even all that rare worldwide but the number of times you have a chance to see one is minuscule in your life and yeah. the fact that they spend most of the time underwater like well and to photograph one leaping out of the water is pretty ridiculous like there can't be crazy. many images like that i would not think no i don't think so yeah um i mean it's sad most images you find are of them beached dead on the beach yeah. you know, or, or logging yeah. sort of where you just see them yeah. floating at the surface with a little little you know bump of a dorsal over you know sticking out of the water yeah yeah great galapagos trip we're going back but next year is already full so 25 folks nice 25. that's awesome I, have i told you about my kogia experience i can't remember maybe yeah i've only seen them once ever um and I can't remember which species or if we were actually able to determine which species at the time. I think there's one there that's more likely than the other. This was uh, in the Gulf of Oman in the Indian Ocean. Oman. Oh, wow. <clears throat> we did an impromptu pelagic. We'd kind of like we ended up getting our birds faster than we anticipated. And so I, I kind of like started asking around and, and I was like, you know, we could try to cram in like an afternoon pelagic here um, if uh, – if we afternoon delight, yeah. If we hustle and talk to the right people, and you know the the waters there are super super calm, like like typically it is just flat like a mirror, you know. And uh, and so you and you get these boats and they're fast, like you can you can haul like thirty knots, just like cover a lot of ground quick. So. Um, so I'm, we managed to do it. Actually, Rich and Dean, who you know you, you know well, yeah. is they were with me on this trip, and a few others, and uh, and so we went out from Muscat, and we went out, and I think it was just like a two and a half, three hour boat trip. Were you looking for Juanine's petrol? We were looking for Juanine's petrol. Yeah, that is exactly what we were looking for. Joaquin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is like Joaquin such a cool Phoenix bird. petrol. Yeah. <laughs> It's like such a good looking bird, you know, it's like they're all yeah. wing, you know, it's just, they're all yeah. wing and it's dark seabird, you know, basically it's like a glider, you know, cause they don't really inhabit like waters with a ton of wind. So they're just like all wing and they just like glide over these, these, these really calm tropical waters. So when you find them, you can actually like motor up next to them and cause you know, you just, you know, so you know, we try, we try to keep a respectful dis distance, but we saw, we ended up seeing 30 of those guys that day. Huh. And like the only other life forms we saw out there were palaces gulls. We had like two dozen of them Ooh. and we had about, you know, two to three dozen Kogia. Um, wow. So that's, two we saw, we, yeah, we saw like, it was like 20 to 30. I can't remember exactly how many it was, but there was a bunch of them out there. Um, wow. And that, that is all we saw was Kogia, wow. Palace's Gull, and Juanine's Petrol. We got out about 20 miles, saw nothing until we got there, and then all that stuff was there. And it was like 20 to 30 of each. It was super memorable. It's like wow. one of those days I'm like, man, this is some craziness. You know? do, you, 
do you remember like uh, in the old goals book and the old European name for the palace's goal was great black headed goal? Yeah. I like that name. I got actually got to admit, even though they're not closely related to blackhead, but great blackhead. Cause you look at that thing and you're like, Whoa, it's yeah. huge. It right? is huge. I think it, I think it and great blackback go. I think the two largest goals. Yeah. Is that right? I think so. But they do have a black head when they're breeding, which is yeah. not what you associate with a big goal, right? You always think black headed goals. Those with a black hood are a small species, but yeah. not that one. It's actually a pretty good name. Bring back the great black-headed uh, I was like, you know, I, I realized yeah. the eponymous names are, you know, not the best either. Um, I'm not sure that would be the name I would prefer. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the good name for that bird would be. But I don't – I'm not uh, – I'm probably not – I don't fall into the great black-headed camp like you do. Oh, no. Yeah. God. I like it. Al, I think with our last few minutes here, we should tell folks a little bit about this cruise we got coming up. Yeah, we should, yeah. because I'm really excited about it. I'm almost like, can't believe that we're going to do this. I'm going to go to the, well, yeah. tell. I, I am so excited. Like, like just as excited as you are. It's people. Oh, I'm more excited. Yeah, I'm more excited, man. I'm more excited. <laughs> You're more excited. <laughs> no, like, if you, people ask me what, you know. What's your favorite trip you've ever done? I, I don't have an answer for that question. I'm sure like you, we, we get to do um, some amazing places and, you know, there's places are different, but this is definitely one of my favorite trips I've ever done is this cruise of the sub-Antarctic islands of New Zealand and Australia. Uh, if you want to find out more about it, just go to Alvaro's Adventures or HillStarNature.com. Um, either either site we we've got it and we're going we are going in, we're doing uh, it we're it's, we're a code share we're a code share we're doing code share both I love, are, it. I love it we're we're doing both companies working together yeah uh, you know and along with Heritage Expeditions who's running you know the actual show uh, on their ship beautiful which, ship um, yeah I mean that I'm actually excited about too. It looks like a really great ship and it is we're yeah, going in December by the way folks twenty four yeah twenty four december twenty twenty four aboard the heritage uh, adventure it is a great boat it's a really beautiful ship super comfortable I've been on it before and uh this route you know I think people look at it sometimes and sort of be like, well, this kind of looks like an Antarctica trip. Uh, you don't get as far south as Antarctica. It's all, you know, again, it's, it's out of New Zealand. We go out of the south end of the South Island and we hit seven island groups, um, starting with the snares and then on to the Auckland's and then down to Macquarie. And then from Macquarie, we go to Campbell and then the Bounties and the Antipodes finishing up in the legendary Chatham Island. So seven island groups, it's a little over two weeks. It's a remote wilderness. Uh, I've done it twice. The the I think the first time I did it, we didn't see like another ship the entire time. And, we, and you just Ooh. see like a couple, you know, there's the Chathams wow. are inhabited. There's, I think there's like six, 700 people, maybe more now living on the Chatham Islands. Um, the other islands are uninhabited, except a couple have like, you know, biological research stations. So you see like a few people, but Basically, you're on your own in a remote wilderness that's some of the richest waters in the world for seabirds and cetaceans. And there's even some cool songbirds there, too. Um, yeah. Even like little parrots. Yeah. The parrots are parrots. some of the coolest. I will, I will, one of, one of, nice. 
One of my uh, favorite experiences is like the first time we get to the Auckland Islands on this cruise. And I ended up, I forget why, I was like helping with something. I ended up on the last cruise, the last Zodiac into shore. And I get on shore and I'm like, start yelling. I'm like, red ground parakeets going over, red ground parakeets are going, you know, going right over the horizon, you know, now over the, that boat. And I'm like trying to give pan- panicked directions. Like I'm so excited. And people are looking around like, yeah, yeah, we, we see them. And then like, I see another flock and another flock and another flock and another flock and another flock. <laughs> and basically I'm the last one on shore. And these things have been streaming by the entire time. And people are like, yeah, like welcome to the party. Uh, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. That was on Enderby Island, which is one we can actually do a hike around, have a chance to see in subantarctic snipe and, um, and, and maybe, maybe even commune with, uh, some albatrosses. There's light mantled albatrosses nesting there. And, um, it's the only place in the world I've ever seen a giant squid. I saw, I saw oh, wow. it was dead, but it was like, still, it was like a 30 foot giant squid roiling around at the base of this light mantled albatross, light mantled city albatross colony. Um, you know, that's the kind of place you're going is where stuff like that. And there's places, you know, what the Campbell so, Island, we can walk around with, you know, wandering Gibson's albatrosses. Um, I was going to say that if you start thinking about these island names, there's like a Chatham albatross, right? There's a Campbell yeah. albatross. There's an Antipodean albatross. There's a Snares yeah. penguin, crested penguin. Like so many of these islands have a bird named, you know, the bird's name for the islands because they're almost, or in some cases, they are the only place where these things breed. But it's amazing how the the number of penguins and albatrosses, the diversity here is actually unparalleled. There's no other place that has such a diversity of overall of seabirds. Um, yeah. As opposed to any other place, including, you know, those wonderful spots we were at talking to you yeah, a few months ago, um, like South Georgia and, and the Antarctic. And uh, here there's more species. Now uh, you there are some that overlap, right? And maybe that's why some people feel like they're, they get confused whether it's this Antarctica, is it not Antarctica? But, um, but there are definitely a bunch of things you cannot see anywhere else in the world easily. Anyways. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, there are a few things, the, uh, Macquarie Island. I don't, I think it's been surpassed, but it used to be known as the Island with more breeding penguins on it than any other, Island in the world in that in terms of sheer numbers, not in species, but Royal albatrosses, sorry, Royal penguins, um, nest there in, in massive numbers and King penguins are growing there as well. So those two are, are, are really abundant breeders there. Uh, so that's cool. The, uh, the, you know, we don't, the furthest South we get, I think is like 54, 55 degrees South. Um, which is, you know, only a little further South than like Ushuaia, which is where the, you know, the Antarctic trip departed from. Um, right. So we're much further north. It's not nearly as cold. Um, and it's uh, it's even a little subtropical when you get up to like the Chathams where there's, you know, there's like big pigeons, you know, forest pigeons and jerigones and and, uh, and there's always the chance at the super rare seabirds there too, like magenta petrel and maybe even uh, yeah. Chatham petrel, axillaris. So yeah, people should check it out. Wow. It's going to be... It's going to be epic, man. I feel like it's an yeah. overused term, but it really is one of the best trips in the world. Yeah, and if 
it's if you've been to Antarctica or think I'm going to go to Antarctica, they don't replace each other. In fact, if you like one, you're going to like the other. I think there's four <laughs> penguin species yeah. on this trip that you can't see anywhere else. Maybe right. th- maybe three endemics. I have to go back and check, but there's at least three endemics that, and including like we, have, you know, good chance yellow-eyed penguin, which is the rarest penguin in the world. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty pretty neat. And uh, I mean, I I'm I'm excited partially because I have actually never been there, so you you're gonna get to see me in my giddy phase. <laughs> um, you know, I, I George will be more in the sort of uh, you know um, seasoned naturalist uh, shipboard <laughs> naturalist but i will be in my giddy phase which uh everybody loves to see and um <laughs> maybe not uh, i i think too that uh one thing is we we have a set of um cabins sort of set aside for us and um as people book there might some options may be less likely so i don't i mean i don't want to be like pushing people but if you're kind of especially if you want something different like a single cabin or something um get in touch with us now yeah rather than later yeah and thanks for the folks that have already registered we're really excited uh, to travel with you it's gonna be it's gonna be fun yeah this is one of the places too i think it was approaching i think it was approaching the Aucklands where i saw one of the largest seabird spectacles i've ever seen one of these sooty shearwater scenes that you know, out west, you guys get to see a little bit more, but it might have, you know, it was it was hundreds of thousands, maybe, you know, maybe a million. I think something like over twenty million um, sooty shearwaters breed there. Huge numbers, massive. Yeah, it's wow. a spectacle. Spectacle. A lot of marine mammals too, right? I mean, yeah. You, not apart from the whales, there's uh, some uh, pinnipeds that are kind of unique to the area. Yes, and so there are. I'm not, not as much a fan of those as they can be a little intimidating at times, but uh, <laughs> a spectacle nonetheless. Yes. Yeah. No. No endemic squirrels, unfortunately. Yeah. No, that's a uh, big drawback, actually. Yeah, the squirrel enthusiasts. This is probably not going to be the trip for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, um. Yeah, I, I I I cannot believe that you know we sort of uh, put all this together with uh, you know we've been talking about it for a bit and um, when when Antarctica sort of happened and and went well and we also enjoyed doing those podcasts from from the Antarctic um, I think we're going to try to replay some of that do oh, some yeah. podcasting live or not live but you know at least uh, um, done while we're at sea. Yeah, recording in fun. situ on site there. In situ, yeah. And, uh, whew, yeah. Boy, who's going to be caring for our plants for those weeks? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Luckily, it'll be December. I'll be in pretty good shape. You might you might have to hustle. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> well, good stuff, man. We ought to scoot. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um Good to be back chatting with you guys again. Al, have a great day, and we will be in touch more soon. Everybody be good. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.